Hey girl, welcome back. We have an awesome show for you today talking about Ella Enchanted, Blind Obedience, and Personal Revelation. As always, I'm Olivia and with me are Claire, Emily, and Lizzie. We're four girls with four different perspectives using literature to try and understand this crazy world. Because we're recording our segments individually, we need you to supply the dialogue. Drop a comment, talk to your quarantine fam, take to Twitter or Zoom, but don't be quiet about your thoughts. Sharing is caring. But like, be nice about it. Duh. All right, let's go. To kick things off, I just wanted to talk a little bit about why we thought Ella Enchanted would be perfect for the podcast this week. As y'all have probably figured out by now, all four of us girls in progress are deeply Christian, part of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yes, it's a mouthful. (laughs) It plays a huge part in our lives, how we see the world and what we believe, and naturally, it's a big part of this podcast. Now, over the years, church members have received some flack from people outside of our faith for what seems to them as blind obedience. If you want a recent example, look no further than Twitter within the last two weeks. When members of our church were invited to participate in a worldwide fast, no, not intermittent, but religious, there was a ton of backlash against the movement. Even though we were fasting for divine relief from coronavirus, a lot of people called it reckless blind obedience and believed that we were endangering ourselves. Now, the story of Ella Enchanted is about a girl who has to obey against her will. It's actually a spinoff of the Cinderella fairy tale, Heyo. But obedience and personal revelation that comes from choosing what to obey is a conversation too timely for us to pass up. There's something to be said about a book written 23 years ago that still has relevance to religion and faith today. So without further ado, I'll pass it over to Claire for her segment on blind obedience. Hey guys, this is Claire here. I'm so excited to start off our podcast today by discussing one of my favorite books from my childhood, Ella Enchanted. And just to be clear, we're talking about the book, not the movie, with Anne Hathaway and Hugh Dancy, although it's one of my favorites, too. So Ella Enchanted, the book, brings up so many important themes that were relevant in my time and are still so relevant to youth today. The topic I'm going to address today is blind obedience. And who better to exemplify this trait than the cursed heroine of the novel, Ella Afrel? As Olivia was mentioning before in her summary, Ella is cursed to be obedient to anyone who gives her a command or order. And this often gets her into trouble because Ella is obedient to not just people who wish her well or who want to help her, but those who want to hurt her. Examples of this are people like her stepsisters. Um, There's also a group of ogres, I believe, in the novel that want to eat her um, and she has to obey them. Um, Even her love interest, the prince, unknowingly puts her and his kingdom in danger by kind of demanding that she marry him. Again, like Olivia was mentioning before in the intro, blind obedience is an incredibly relevant topic for us today as young women and members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So a little about me. Um, I grew up in Minnesota for most of my teenage and adult, young adult years um, before I went to college. And I was one of the only active members of the church in my high school. And my high school wasn't very big, but basically all of my friends from high school were not members of the church, which was totally fine. We were great. Um, But it led sometimes to questions. I lived by standards and for the strength of youth, or I tried my best. 
And my family also made rules based on counsel they received from church leaders um, that weren't what the girls around me were used to. One rule that we had in my house was no sleepovers. And this was pretty tough for me because almost every weekend it felt like my friends were doing some sort of sleepover something. And I could stay till pretty late. Um, My curfew is about 12 or 1. But I felt so lame leaving the party just when it felt like I was getting closer to my friends. Um, I can remember thinking one time as I was leaving one of these sleepover parties, it was probably like 1230 at night. Um, And I thought, why am I even doing this? Do I do I even believe in this rule? I bet for those listening. that you've had a similar experience to me. Maybe not with that particular rule, but just this kind of idea of kindly blind kind of blindly following what you're told to do. I wish I could say from this experience that I sat down and decided I was going to find out why this rule um, was a rule in my family. And if that why was good enough for me, then I was going to follow it. <laughs> Um, but I I honestly never found out the why. I didn't intensely search for it, at least. I just obeyed. And for a large part of my teenage years, at least, I really resented my parents for this rule. Uh, sorry, Mom. Sorry, Dad. I love you. <laughs> um, I don't think Ella Enchanted is speaking out against obedience. Just to be clear, I really don't. In fact, there's actually a part in the beginning of the book that shows kind of the consequences of not being willingly obedient to a command, Um, especially one that's given in our best interest. Um, So Ella and her mom get really sick at the beginning of the novel in one of the chapters, and Mandy, their magical cook, makes um, them a soup with unicorn hairs. And she says, if you eat all the soup with the hairs, you'll get better. And of course, Ella chooses to eat the hairs. I don't remember if her curse had anything to do with her obedience there, Um, but her mom doesn't. This turns out to have a really sad consequences for both Ella and her mother. Um, Ella gets better, but her mom gets worse, and she eventually dies. So the book isn't saying don't listen to anyone. I think what it's saying is to be wise in who you choose to follow or listen to. Don't just do something because someone's telling you to. Choose for yourself to do what you know is right. And if you don't know what is right, figure it out first and then do it. I know that as a young adult and a member of the church, I'll sometimes, okay, I totally admit this. I felt like I'm following a command or principle, not really because I have what we'd call a testimony of it, which basically just means like a personal witness that something is right. But I'm just following it because it's the easiest thing to do. The one that will require the least amount of brain power, the least amount of effort on my part, which is terrible. <laughs> um, I truly believe this isn't what Jesus Christ taught his disciples. Um, it isn't what his witnesses on earth today teach either. Um, that's something that I really love about recent talks in this church is um, this emphasis on being active and mindful participants in our own progression. 
God expects us to ask questions, to find out the truth for ourselves. And with the knowledge we gain, we then are expected to act on it. Um, Basically, we're asked to gain a personal witness that something is right and good before we do it. So an example of this, I'm just going to read for you a segment of a talk by Elder Boyd K. Packer. It's called Agency and Control. And here he talks about blind obedience quite a bit. And I just think it's an awesome talk. And for those of you who don't know who Boyd K. Packer is or what he is, uh, he's what we call an apostle or a representative of Jesus Christ, basically. Um, anyway, here's the quote. He says, several weeks ago, I had in my office a four-star general and his wife. They were very impressive people. They admired the church because of the conduct of our youth. The general's wife mentioned her children, of whom she is justly proud. But she expressed a deep concern, telling me, she said, how you are able to control your youth and build such character as we have seen in your young men. Um, And just as I comment, I know that this, I'm sure that people are admiring our young women in the church just as much as they're admiring the young men. Um, Anyway, he says, I was interested in her use of the word control. The answer, I told them, centered in the doctrines of the gospel. They were interested, so I spoke briefly of the doctrine of agency. I said we develop control by teaching freedom. Perhaps at first they thought we started at the wrong end of the subject. A four-star general is nothing if not a disciplinarian. But when one understands the gospel, it becomes very clear that the best control is self-control. So I really love this segment um, on self-control. I think it drives home the point that Ella Enchanted is making, and I I hope that I'm making as well, that um, we all have individual worth. um, And we have the gift to choose for ourselves what we're going to believe and think and say and do every day of our lives. Um, And you'll find that at the end of this novel, the beauty of Ella's predicament is that she frees herself. She is the one and the only one, it turns out, who can break herself free from blind obedience. It's not by attacking a certain institution or a group of people. There's not even really a bad guy in Ella Enchanted. I'd argue that the antagonist or the person she's really fighting against for most of the book is herself. Um, which I think is applicable and true to us as young women as well. So I was talking about this earlier with my husband, and we came up um, with kind of a central question to take from this discussion. Um, We decided that the opposite of blind obedience to us was informed obedience. And the question we came up with, and this question, mind you, is going to be really individual and personal to each of us. So I don't think that there's there's a correct answer here. Um, It's just something for you to ponder and think about. But the question is, how much information do you need to have informed obedience? Or basically, how much information do you need in order to feel like you're making an informed decision? Um, Think about it. Um, I challenge all of you listening, think about that for a second. For me personally, especially as it relates to the church. It depends on the decision. I still have a lot of questions that I don't feel like have been entirely answered. Um, But there are other things that I feel I have complete trust and information about, for sure. Um, One of those things for me is tithing. 
uh, it doesn't mean it's easy. Um, I just mean I personally feel satisfied with the information that I have to move forward with full trust in paying my tithing every two weeks. Uh, paying a tenth of everything I make and giving it back to the church to use in building temples and like church buildings and making pamphlets and handouts for missionaries. Um, I have used all of these materials myself. I've experienced the things that happen in our churches and temples firsthand. And the experiences that I've had have made a big enough impact on me, both spiritually and intellectually, um, that I'm positive personally that it's the right thing to do. And so I move forward from there. One question you guys may be having as you've been listening to this is, how do I find out for myself what's right? And in this next segment with Lizzie, you'll get to explore this question in greater detail. So with that being said, thanks for listening to this segment on blind obedience and take it away, Lizzie. Thanks so much, Claire. Uh, This is a huge question to explore and actually one that's resurfaced time and time again for me and for Ella, I think, as well. I think it goes without saying that Ella's story is one of empowerment and one that happens as a result of the pull to do what's right, yes, but doing what's right for oneself. Or in other words, Ella's story is about finding out what is right for her is not always a choice um, that's simply made to make other people around her happy, right? It's made to make herself happy. And for me, that kind of resolve to follow her inner strength, light, and truth is what makes her a hero. So English is my favorite subject. And we study something called the hero's journey in many an English class. So I'm sure some of you may be familiar with it. Um, But in order to kind of look at my girl Ella as the true heroine she is, I figured we should trace her journey and identify her heroic choices, even if she couldn't always choose in line with her own truth. Um, And just as a forewarning to our listeners, there's going to be a few plot holes in my explanation of the hero's journey if you're not already familiar um, with Ella's story, but that just kind of gives you this awesome opportunity you have to go and enjoy your story on your own uh, so don't get mad at me <laughs> um so the hero's journey begins with this thing that we call the call to adventure and ella's call to adventure begins when her mother passes away and it causes her father to send her off to finishing school but she's constantly tormented there by her stepsister hattie who knows about her curse and she wants to leave but she doesn't know what she would do if she left Um, But I guess the true call to adventure comes, though, when she finds out that Lucinda, her fairy godmother who bestowed this curse on her, uh, may be at a giant's wedding somewhere in the near future. So there's a refusal to the call for obvious reasons in Ella's case because she's left, um, or if she left, she would be disobeying the orders of her father directly, which she's incapable of since she has her gift of obedience um she's got some supernatural aid from the fairy made book which allows her access to anything that's written down from stories to letters and through this she discovers hattie's weakness so ella discovers that hattie wears wigs and steals a wig in the middle of the night as an act of revenge and she then runs away from finishing school after basically skirting around her father's order she reasons that Going to finishing school doesn't mean staying in finishing school, and therefore she crosses the first threshold um, as she discovers that she should, or she could leave if she wanted to. So for Ella, the belly of the whale, so to speak, is when she sells Hattie's wig. And because of this, she can't go back to the academy, um, and Ella's forced to go on her journey with no other options left. So 
her road of trials, the next step in her journey, and it occurs after her departure, okay, and it's the main part of her physical journey. She's helped by these elves and then captured by ogres. She buys enough time for her rescue by outsmarting some ogres and is ultimately rescued by Prince Charmon. Um, and she meets her original goal of her journey by later confronting Lucinda at the giant's wedding and asking her to lift the curse. But Lucinda declines and rather tells Ella just to love her gift. So Ella's disobedience forces her to obey or to love obeying orders, right? And she forgets her quest. She returns home and finds that her father's assigned her a fiance and Ella wants to refuse at first, but because of Lucinda, she can't. And she only ends up enjoying the fact that she can obey a command. Uh, at home, though, Ella's, Ella's fairy godmother, Mandy, snaps her out of Lucinda's command. Ella remembers that she hates her curse and she is reminded of, of what she needs to do. Ella finds out that Char is hosting three balls to choose his wife. And Ella's quest becomes a mission to stop herself from harming Char because of her curse. Like I said, it's going to be a few plot holes, but bear with me. Um, this phase within the hero's journey is considered something called the ultimate boon because Ella's journey is led her to a possible happy ending, but only if she can break her curse. And here's where we begin Ella's return. She's doubting herself, she's still afraid, and she ends up sending Char a letter that convinces him that she has married someone else. Mandy convinces Ella to still attend the balls, though, just in case she regrets her decision. But Ella basically sees this as her farewell to Char. She decides to wear a mask to disguise herself. Has a nice finishing touch there. <laughs> uh, and Mandy then forces Lucinda to learn that her gifts are curses. And Lucinda comes back and vows to never use large amounts of magic at once. And she sympathizes with Ella's pain, but she tells Ella she can't reverse the curse because that would be using too much magic. Um, Mandy's never been one to listen to Lucinda, though, and tells Ella that she has the power to break the curse by herself. So, still, Ella's in need of some help. She needs a carriage and horses to attend the ball. And luckily, Lucinda appears before Ella comes through and turns a pumpkin and six mice into a splendid orange carriage and beautiful white horses. We've heard this part somewhere else, I think. Um... And, okay, after one of the greatest plot twists and ending few chapters in all of fantasy literature, I won't spoil it for our listeners because that would simply be too cruel, um, Ella's will and determination frees her from her curse. And she ultimately manages to be disobedient for the first time in her life and gains the freedom to choose, live, and love freely and according to her own truth. So... There wasn't a time when I read or watched Ella Enchanted that I didn't wish or pretend to be Ella, especially by the end. Um, And that was probably my own confined wish to outsmart some ogres and sing in a flash mob at some organized event. (laughs) But still, there is something truly enchanting uh (laughs) about being the hero of our own story. And the coolest part that I didn't even realize while I was literally wishing that I did not have agency in order to befriend magical singing creatures is that we have the power to be the heroes of our own stories. Um, we talk a lot about divine revelation in church meetings or basically the ability we have to our, um, to have our own questions answered in prayer, answered by God. Um, and Ella had to jump through hoops like a magical tell-all book and tracking the wedding plans of giants and breaking a curse in order to answer her own questions of identity. Um, and while our journeys to live in harmony with our individual identities and gifts each look different, 
we still have the power to consult our questions of who we are and what God expects from us. And when I've asked in prayer in the past, though I've been promised my whole life by church leaders and in the scriptures that I'll get an answer, it honestly has hardly felt like I have an answer. And instead, I'll find myself looking back and thinking, okay, my departure on this quest and this time of my life happened here and my quote supernatural help came in when I asked for some divine guidance, right, from God. Um, my initiation and my quest happened after I made this decision and my return happened when I was able to reconcile this with who I am and who God knows I can be or when everything locked for a split second and I was able to say to myself, yeah, this is Lizzie. I know who I am um, and I know my truth. And that's an incredibly vague journey for anyone to compare their story with. But I guess the cool part is that there really is no perfect formula. Um, it's kind of comforting that I don't have to track down an airy fairy godmother to reach any final destination and that God's plan for each of us is designed and catered to match every quirk and every curve that he created us with in the very beginning. So, Emily, bring us home, boo. Hey, everybody. It's me, Emily, and I am so excited to do this last portion with you guys because I get to talk about my favorite part in Ella Enchanted, the moment when Ella breaks the curse. So to begin, I just want to, you know, provide some background information. So I have distinct memories of reading Ella Enchanted when I was like eight or nine on my trampoline. Um, and it must have been for like the fifth time that I was reading it. But I adored this book when I was younger and it has stayed with me my whole life. So to begin, uh, I know Lizzie has done a lot of summarizing about the book for those of you who haven't had the opportunity to read this fantastic book. And if you haven't, please go read it. It's so good. But um, so this is the part when after the whole book, when Ella is struggling to, um, I mean, her whole life is ruined because of this curse and she's struggling. I mean, her life is in danger. Her happiness is in danger the entire book. And she's basically enslaved by her stepmother in the end. I mean, literally so many things happened to her that are just so awful because of this curse um and the only reason why at the end she is able to break it is because of her love for the prince the prince asked her to marry her and she i mean she has to obey because he's he's ordering her marry me because he's like i know i know you love me and she's like she knows that if she agrees to marry him then his life will be at risk because a political enemy or something or someone that doesn't like him could just order her to kill him and she would have to do it. Or, you know, the whole kingdom could be at risk because of this curse. And so she is so motivated by this. She loves him so much and wants to protect him and everyone else in the kingdom so much that she is finally able to find the will to resist and to break the curse herself. <clears throat> so this... Uh, this first quote basically says what I was saying. It's Ella talking about the curse. She said, I had been able to break the curse myself. I'd had to have reason enough, love enough to do it, to find the will and the strength. So she's saying, I had to have enough reason, but more than that, enough love to do it, to be able to find the will and the strength to finally resist um, the urge to obey. And then the next quote I want to read, I just love because she's <laughs> she's so excited that she was able to break the curse. 
Um, she runs around and screams it. She says, hush, Hattie. I said, intoxicated with my success. I don't want to go to my room. Everyone must know I shan't marry the prince. I ran to the door to our street, opened it, and called out into the night. I shan't marry the prince. I turned back into the hall and ran to Char and threw my arms around, about his neck. I shan't marry you. I kissed his cheek. He was safe from me. So she's <laughs> she's just overjoyed. I mean... She's intoxicated with her success because, I mean, she hasn't been able to break this curse, even from, you know, she was, the ogres were going to eat her. I mean, she was um, a prisoner, a slave to her siblings and her, her stepmother, and she couldn't break it. But at this moment, her love was strong enough for the prince that she was able to do it. And so the first thing I want to talk about is this idea of being able to break our own personal curses. So I think everyone has things in their life that are maybe some sort of a, I don't want to say addiction, but we do stuff that um, might not be for our own good. And maybe it's involuntary or maybe it's just bad habits, but we like doing things that ultimately hurt us. So this could go all the way from bad habits, like maybe spending too much time on our phones or sleeping in, these things that you know, small things, but that overall over time, you know, detracts from our happiness. Or it could be, uh, you know, all the way to even serious addictions, um, like drugs. Um, you know what I'm talking about. So, I mean, all these things, these small addictions, inhibit our ability to choose, which is basically what happens to Ella in this book. I mean, she doesn't have the ability to choose for herself. Because she just has to do what everyone tells her to do. Um, so I'm going to talk to y'all a little bit about my personal experiences doing stuff that I, I'm addicted to doing um, and how it's been for me to break those habits. So, um, yeah, I'm trying to normalize talking about mental health struggles because I know it's a bit of a taboo topic, but I think it should be normal for us to talk about these things. So I'm going to tell you guys, I have OCD and it's really hard. So for those of you who don't know what OCD is, it's obsessive compulsive disorder. And basically it means that I get really obsessed about things. Um, like say I get really obsessed about like an anxious thought and I think about it over and over and over again. Um, and then I do compulsions, um, behaviors that help relieve the anxiety that comes with those obsessions. So a lot of times people think of OCD and they think of cleaning or washing hands um, a lot and being a germaphobe or being really neat. And, you know, those things can come with OCD, but sometimes it's more just like, like for me, I, I worry a lot. And then my compulsion is seeking reassurance from people, like asking them for their opinion. Um, sometimes even I have something called scrupulosity where I worry a lot about uh, like my my religious life, like whether or not I'm being moral enough or good enough. And then the compulsion is confessing to a bishop, to a family member or something, trying to, to find relief from the anxiety. So I feel a lot of, I don't know, uh, myself in this scene, because it's really hard to break these obsessions. I mean, it's something that I do. It's a learned bad habit that it's almost involuntary. So it's almost like Ella's curse and breaking it. I need to find the love and the will 
to not do the compulsions, to resist them. And it's really hard. And I know probably everyone has things like this um, in their life. And I just want to say that if you're listening to this, it's okay to talk about these things. We all have things going on in our lives and talking about it only makes it better and only helps us find solutions faster, helps us lean on each other. So that's my experience with um, OCD. And now I'm going to talk a little bit more about another, well, another part of this of this section of, of the novel that I, I simply adore. So Ella says herself that in order to break the curse, she had to have reason enough, love enough to do it. So Ella is able to break out of these, I wrote compulsions. Um, I have notes for, for reading the thing. That's funny because I was just talking about her curse, not about my compulsions, but yeah, she's able to break out these, out of these compulsions because of love. And I'm not talking necessarily about romantic love, um, even though it is her love for the prince specifically here. Um, but I mean, it's her love for the entire kingdom. I mean, she doesn't want any any bad to happen to anyone in her life. And so she essentially sacrifices herself for the good of the kingdom. And if you think about it, I mean, she easily could have said yes to the prince. I mean, she wanted to marry him. She loved him. Um, but she's able to resist not only the obedience in her, but her own personal desires um, so that harm doesn't come to him. Um, and she wasn't able to do it for any other reason except love. And so this is the type of sacrificial, powerful love. I say sacrificial because she sacrifices herself. But it's this type of love that I am so passionate about. Now, okay, as an English major... Um, Something that we do a lot in the major is we look for symbolism. And there's a common trope, which is basically, you know, like a repeated metaphor, a repeated pattern in literature called Christ figures. Um, these are figures that sacrifice themselves for um, another person, a group of people. And this term Christ figure might seem a bit sacrilegious um, for all the Christians out there. But personally, I love finding these examples of Christ um, in literature because it reminds me of my own personal faith and it fills me with hope to see something that I value so much, the love of Christ in action in a variety of ways. And so for me, Ella here is a Christ figure. She sacrifices her own desires, um, her own comfort in order to save a group of people. <clears throat> so now I'm going to get to the more Christian slash religious part of this section. Um, and so I'm going to let the religious side of me come out full force here. But, you know, here it is. Uh, love, real, true love. That is the, lo the love. Um, that's a love that get gets people to sacrifice everything, even their lives for other people. So John 15, 13 says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That's the kind of love um, that Christ is talking about in this scripture. The love that enables somebody to do an incredibly hard thing for somebody else. And 1 Corinthians 13 also talks about this kind of love. And in this, in some versions, it's called charity. 
uh, which is basically just, you know, it's the love of Christ, which is just a word for this type of powerful love that allows people to sacrifice themselves for others. So when I read this scripture, I'm just going to replace it with the word love to make it flow better. But it says, charity profiteth, charity suffereth long. Sorry, I'm going to start over. Love suffereth long and is kind. Love envieth not. Love vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemingly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things, love never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail, whether there be tongues, they shall cease, whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. So I think this particularly applies to this, you know, this Christ-like figure of Ella, where it says, Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. So if you are filled with this love for other people, you will endure anything to make that happen. And I think that's why this moment of Ella Enchanted is so powerful, at least to me. Ella, in this moment, is exhibiting a quality that I mean if we're if we're trying to follow Christ all of us are trying to acquire we're all trying to to find this love to to feel this love for other people so that we will be able to to do something as brave as Ella did so these are my thoughts about this part of Ella Enchanted if I got a little bit too preachy I apologize but um yeah, if you haven't read the book, go read it. And thanks for listening, guys. All right, that's the end of our show. We've done all the talking in the world, and now it's your turn. Drop us a comment about informed obedience. Tell your mom about how you choose to be empowered by love. Receive all the personal revelation. But most importantly, say no to Ogreside. Stop the giant land grab. Thank you so much for listening. You are amazing. You are wonderful. You are enough. This is Girl in Progress, signing off.